Are you loving the Categorically Romance podcast? Are you looking for even more places to get your romance fix? Do you rewatch When Harry Met Sally every fall? Yeah, we thought so. <laughs> Check out Meet Cute's newest podcast, The Rom-Com Room, where rom-com connoisseurs Kendra and Mercedes unite each Friday to nerd out about their favorite rom-coms, their love to hates, and every crush and romantic detail in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Brie. And today, as of recording this, The Blaze Project has officially begun. And joining us for this is author Sarah Mayberry. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Please tell us about yourself. Hi, guys. Um, well, everybody. <laughs> um, I live in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I can't remember how many books I wrote for Blaze, um, but they were the my first published books as well as writing romance novels, I write for television and film here in Australia. And I'm married, I uh, have a little dog, and, yeah, that's pretty much me. Oh, okay, real quick, what's the biggest difference between writing for a novel and writing for television? Thank you, Erin. That was my question. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Yes, what's the difference? <laughs> um Obviously, so TV and film are visual storytelling. They're visual mediums. So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about show, not tell in screen writing. And in novels, you can obviously go inside somebody's head and hear their thoughts and, you know, be told what their feelings are rather than having to interpret what an actor is emoting. So um, they're two sort of... I mean, I think they do complement each other. I think that writing for TV makes my dialogue in my books stronger and more realistic than than perhaps it would have been otherwise. Um, I do probably tend to put what what's called sort of action lines or big print in scripts. I put probably put too much in there because I'm a novelist. Um, I think books are harder because okay. they're longer and okay. um, and you just you know you you do everything with a with a, a a book a tv and film are very are collaborative and at a certain point you hand over your script to other people and they start interpreting your words and putting their creative ideas into the project and um that's not the case with a book and that control thing is um a blessing when you're loving your book and a curse when you're getting lots of collaboration and it's going a different direction when you're doing a screen project, but um, you know they, they both have their joys. Wow. Okay, is is there just as much like emotional investment in that? Like, does it does it bother you sometimes when the script is handed off and they're like, oh no no, we're taking it, we're changing this and this this this. Yeah, I mean, all writing is an act of creation, um, and where we, you put parts of yourself into everything, so you obviously handed in something that you thought fit the brief and um, hit the marks and then, you know, if other people don't sort of share that vision, I mean, it's, it's never nice to know that you sort of haven't, something hasn't sort of hit the mark or, yeah, <laughs> landed with people. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh, right. Resonated yeah. is the word I'm looking for. Well, speaking of novels, what is the hallmark of a Sarah Mayberry romance? <laughs> Um, I think they're emotional. 
Um, I like to try and even if I put my characters in kind of interesting or crazy jobs or situations where, you know, maybe the average person, you know, they've got more money than the average person or in a situation that maybe average people wouldn't be involved in, I like to think that their emotions and the way they deal with each other and their family, et cetera, are relatable. Um, I like to think that you can have a bit of a laugh and maybe a bit of a cry when you're reading one mm-hmm. of my books. I mean, I like to, um, I, I mean, if I don't cry at least once every book, I feel like I'm doing something wrong at my end. <laughs> and, um, yeah. What else? Uh, the bedroom door is always open except in a, a small handful of my books. I would say they're obviously sex positive and I really like giving my heroines cool and interesting careers because I love researching them and imagining what that life would be like. We love to hear romance origin stories. So can you share with us how you became both a romance reader and writer? Uh, So both of my grandparents, my grandmothers were romance readers. Um, My mum was not, but we used to go and stay with my grand, both my sets of grandparents. And um, so my maternal grandmother uh, Nana Wade. She always had these big English hardcover romance novels. I can't remember who the publisher was. Um, and then my dad's mother, Nan Mayberry, she had uh, Mills and Boons. And, you know, they were those, I, wanted, I feel like they were the 70s. So maybe she didn't buy them super new. She might have got them secondhand or something because it would have been the early 80s when I was starting to read these. And she, um, you know, and there was lots of women being pushed against the wall and being told they were gold diggers by some rich, powerful surgeon or Formula One racing car driver or something like <laughs> that. Um, so I loved that. And then I got into Sweet Dreams and Sweet Valley High. I did my own sort of not terribly imaginative riff on that writing about all of my school friends as a sort of serial at when I was in high school and I would give all of my friends the boyfriends the boys that were crushing on as fictional boyfriends in my my little sweet valley high rip off and then um I knew I wanted to be a writer so I went and um I, I studied uh literature and professional writing I got a bachelor of arts and um I there was a fiction class that was supposed to be a part of that and the guy who taught that was a very literary uh writer himself and that was what he wanted us to write and I can remember handing in my first assignment to him and him asking me to come see him in his office and he told me very sternly that I had written what um the sort of story that would be published in what used to be called women's magazines. And um, he didn't say it in a good way. <laughs> he, said in a, he said it in a, like, I will be, you know, we will be getting this out of you sort of away. And so I ended up dropping his subject. And he was mm-hmm. right. I do write the sort of writing that is published in women's magazines and that's what I wanted to write and it's what I love reading. Um, so I went away and I started trying to write um, a full-length romance novel and I submitted to uh, Harlequin, Mills and Boone, oh, I don't know how many times, so many times. I tried to write a Regency romance because I was loving them at the time. Yeah. And they, Harlequin had that um, Regency line there for a, a while um, mm-hmm. and I was I had all of them, every single one. And then I'd also discovered Georgette Heyer, so I was um, decided that was what I wanted to write but I was not very good at those. And then 
I finally got rejected enough times to go, okay, maybe this isn't going to happen. And I sort of concentrated on my my nine to five job, which was at the time working for a um, sort of a trade magazine that dealt with the hardware industry. And then I got a job in television and I was working in the story room on um, a soap opera and we plotted a long, slow burn romance between these two characters. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I I would have my characters pre- you know, prior to this epiphany moment in the story room, I would I would always have my characters in scenes and they would both know what the other person was thinking somehow through some act of telepathy. And there was no um, unknown. And, I mean, I really, that was something I always think is being one of my first sort of romance lessons that I learned for myself is that that romance is about the danger of not knowing whether the other person returns your feelings or not. Yeah. And there's a uh-huh. risk. There's a huge risk in that. And that if you but if you don't have that tension and that that fear, then there's none of the excitement and the anticipation and all that sort of stuff as well. And so I um I took some time off work and I um, spent three months writing what became um, Can't Get Enough. And I I sent it off. I sent it off for their love and laughter line at Mills and Boone or Harlequin and it folded <laughs> while wow. I was while my book was out on submission and I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited for a year and I had not heard anything back and then I finally decided that I was going to um, be brave and ring up. So I did. I rang Canada in the middle of the night and I, I got onto my editor, Wanda Ottawell, and she said, oh, I emailed you ages ago. I really liked your story. And I've been wondering why I haven't heard from you, why you didn't resubmit. And Oh, my gosh. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And I got off the phone and I contacted my brother and said, because he's an IT guy, and I said, why would I have not gotten this email? And he had a look and he realised that he had not applied some update to our mail server or something, blah, blah. And there was all this email floating around out there in the ether that we'd, I'd never seen and down comes this request for me to have a you know another look at this story and um yes yeah, so thank god I made that phone call <laughs> <I wouldn't Yeah. laughs> my whole life lesson learned yeah. make the phone yeah. call just to be sure <laughs> and it's so intimidating when you're sitting at that first that that front end of your writing career as well you know editors seem like these untouchable gods and then you know it's a business and they need product and especially with category romances, they need to be, you know, putting out X many titles every month. Mm-hmm. Um, they need writers. And um, when you start sort of thinking that this is a, a business that we're in together and that, that they need me and I need them, it sort of makes it a little bit less intimidating. Yeah. Okay. So Love and Laughter is a line that's been touched on. Aaron, I th- you read something from Love and Laughter, correct? Yes, I did. Yes, it was so the first like of the li- Matchmaking Mamas. Yeah, that's like literally, literally the only time that that line has been mentioned on the podcast. So, you know, you submitted to it. What Can you talk about that line for anyone who has yet to read anything from it? Like, why did you submit to Love and Laughter? Well, because it was romantic comedy and... um. Uh, I'm trying to remember beloved romance author, Welcome to Temptation, Jennifer Creasy. <laughs> Jennifer Creasy wrote um, an amazing book for them. I'm trying to, let me quickly Google it. Yes, Anyone But You. And it was a love and laughter and it was 
the first time that because I'd been reading a lot of presents, so um, you know, desert sheiks and CEOs having affairs with their secretaries or cleaners and mm-hmm. whatever. And then I read this, and it was about two people who were equals. And I mean, she's older than him and divorced, and he lives downstairs. And um, honestly, it was so funny and real and. I just was like, this is what I want to write. I want to write <laughs> this sort of contemporary romance. And so, yeah, as I said, that line unfortunately didn't last very long. So when I eventually um, got to the point where, you know, Wanda was sort of, um, we were talking about me doing revisions to Can't Get Enough, she said to me, so my options were to write for Temptation, which um, was not being sold in the North American market at that time, I believe, or I could angle towards Blaze, and which was being sold everywhere. And I was like, well, that's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? I'm going to write for the one with the bigger market. Right. Um, and then we began <laughs> Then we began the job of her sort of edging me towards my characters, getting it on much earlier in the narrative <laughs> than was <completely laughs> in the manuscript. And that was so funny because I get the essential premise, I don't know if you guys have looked at it, but is that they get stuck in the lift with each other. Uh-huh. And um, I think in the original version they kissed and then they got rescued and um, and then I think Wanda was like, what if they just got like pretty hot and heavy and then they got rescued and then um, I wrote that and then I sent that into her and then she's like, I think they should just do it. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I kind of feel like I wish she'd said that right from the start because I would have been on board for that. That was no problem whatsoever. <laughs> That's all you had to say. <laughs> yeah, what do you need, lady? I'll get it. Oh, they can do that. That's fine. Wow. Okay, so – what did the world of romance publishing look like as you were entering into it? So, you know, we're we're getting Can't Get Enough. We know it's going to be part of Blaze. But, like, what world were you entering into back then? Honestly, it was so mysterious to me. Um, I I asked a lot of questions when I first got published. I, I asked how much I could expect to earn from the book. Um, I was told it varies um I I wanted you know I mean I I asked how many of these can I write a year at that point in time I'm pretty sure I was told no more than three books and I was like okay they sort of were quite I think Mills and Boone have always been quite sort of cagey about numbers and I mean I understand that they can't guarantee that anyone's going to get anything from a book that um they publish but in category they do have a sort of baked in market and um, it was a bit frustrating that they didn't share that information, especially with a new writer. And uh, so there was there was that. But really, I feel in in hindsight, looking back, I look back on it and I think that I kind of came in just on the tail end of the glory years of category romance, and was there for sort of long enough to uh, appreciate, uh, well, to to basically you know watch the arrival of digital and what that did to our numbers and to category romance, really. I mean, it expanded massively. Self-publishing took off hugely. Um, there was um, the rise of the digital-only publishers and you could just sort of see our numbers tank massively because that huge advantage that Mills and Boone Harlequin had always had, which was that they kind of owned the shelves in the bookshops, which was the place where you bought your books, right, back then, um, they'd lost that advantage and there was suddenly like an open 
open field for all these new players. It's, it's a very interesting time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, just so much was changing, even with uh, just, you know, the technology of communication and things like that. Mm, mm. Uh, so I have, I'm going to take it back to can't get enough real quick. Um, so you you mentioned that there's the stuck in the elevator moment. So uh, for someone like myself, who's an aspiring writer, sometimes I find myself drifting away or pushing myself away from ideas that I would consider cliche sometimes, but can you can you give aspiring writers, I guess, permission to just write what you're feeling when you're feeling it? Oh, absolutely. I love writing cliches. I mean, I, I think, I mean, you know, we call them tropes, don't we, in romance and also in soap opera land where I do my other mm. writing. Um, but, you know, you know, evil twins, uh, <laughs> amnesia, um, uh-huh. All, all of those sort of crazy soap stories, but then also, you know, all of the fantastic mistaken identity and um, uh, brothers, best friend, uh, best friends to lovers, enemies to love, you know, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I think you can just have enormous fun. In fact, um, for the last series of books that I wrote for them, I actually just sat down and wrote a series of, you know, I was like, what kind of, cliche you know what trope would I like to explore and then just do it my way and uh-huh. um, I think that's the thing with any writer is that it's always your unique take on the world and on um, writing your voice your your take on the trope that will make it fresh and interesting anyway like aren't there only seven stories <laughs> or something like that <laughs> right yeah that, that Vonnegut quote right <laughs> yeah, yeah. How would you describe the Blaze line to someone who has yet to read it? Uh, well, the way I used to always sort of think of it was sex first, feelings later. Um, that's not necessarily a rule because obviously there's a million different stories and writers came at it from lots of different angles. I mean, there were certainly ones where, you know, like uh, people uh, knew each other previously and were getting back together, et cetera, et cetera. But there was always... Um, you know, kind of a basic rule was that we had to have a a very strong, intimate encounter within the first 100 pages. And um, so a more sort of conventional romance, you know, you build towards the physical intimacy as part of the, um, well, if you the climax, if you will, of the story. (laughs) Um, That's part of the evolution of the relationship is that you become emotionally close and then physical closeness um, is kind of the the next inevitable step but like with blaze often it's sex first and then um working out that you actually like each other beyond being you know um someone that you just like having sex with and so that was always kind of interesting to think about stories from that angle like how do you get from being you know get them into bed quickly but um then still leave them with a journey an emotional journey to go on to realize that they love each other yeah. Okay, this is so fascinating. And this is really like the big reason why we want to explore this this project, I feel like. But okay, I'm, I've just been taking notes. I'm, I'm trying to like read through my scribbles. So intimate encounter within the first 100 pages. When you think back, like culturally, why did we need that? Why, what were, what was happening that like readers were wanting sex uh, blaze to me 
is it's one of those lines where the sex was the selling point. You think of yeah. dare, you think of temptation, you think the same thing. What was happening culturally, whether in books or just in pop culture in general? Because we've had the opportunity to talk to booksellers and they're like, Blaze was the line they could not keep on the shelves. What was happening? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when did Sex in the City come out? <laughs> Um, um, I think two years before Blaze, we we yeah. looked into it because we mm-hmm. Joanne Rock. We had the opportunity to ch- chat with author Joanne Rock, and she kind of let it be known like Blaze was kind of an idea that came because Sex in the City was a hit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really thought about it before, but that was the thing that popped into my head. Then uh, it's modern. It, it's very modern way of looking at relationships, isn't it? And it's more possibly skewed younger. It's not um, I dated my boyfriend in high school and we got married and then we had sex and had children, which is, um, you know, obviously a very common story. It's my sister's story, actually. Um, (laughs) But um, it's um, there's also a lot of other young people who, you know, have several relationships before and a, and a sexual history before they find someone that they feel that connection with. And you meet in bars and you meet at parties and you meet in other crazy situations and sometimes you have sex with someone before, you know, that that this, the sex isn't something that you hold off on as a sort of big prize at the end. It's just it's a, a more modern take on male-female relationships isn't it well what do you think it was about blaze that readers at the time enjoyed so much and you know with it being a line that's closed is still such a reader favorite i was thinking to ask like at the time when you were writing for it did you realize like you were writing for something that readers really really loved reading think you do get that sense I mean you know you'd get letters and you get nice reviews and all that sort of stuff um but I think as a category romance in particular you do sort of sometimes you feel a bit disposable um as an author and so I I don't I mean it's really lovely to hear that um I think that they were books that allowed women to explore their desire you know they were really sexy I'm sure that, you know, women who read them found them sexy. <laughs> and, I mean, I used to I used to joke about them being, you know, a square marital aid and um, I don't think that's a bad thing <laughs> as well. I think it's <laughs> great for women to have that imaginative outlet and to explore their sort of fantasies in that way and, um, you know, you don't – you can fall in love in the pages of a book. You don't have to, you know, and bring that energy back into your relationship. Yeah, it feels like it feels like sex positivity has been here for a while. But, you know, and and 2005 to someone like myself does not seem that long ago. But Mm -hmm. there was still, you know, and still today, a lot of a lot of stigma just around, you know, premarital sex. And it's it's interesting that, um, you know, that I guess the the recognition was there, but uh, it's it's still just a mystery to us why the, the line came to an end. I get numbers. I mean, really, I wasn't still writing for them when it ended, um, but it's always about numbers. And I think Blaze in particular did not have book club subscriptions behind it, like um, Super Romance, the Uh, other line mm -hmm. that I wrote for. They had um, a pretty strong 
subscription base with the, a book club sort of database, I guess. And um, but they were much more women's fictiony. Uh, I mean, my my super romances still had quite a lot of sex in them. <laughs> so, uh, but some of them didn't as well. Um, yeah, I think I think that's probably it. And I also think that the first um, what was that first digital imprint that's still around? Starts with I. Entangled. Starts with entangled. E. Entangled. Okay. Okay. I was like, is it entangled or tooly? But you said I, and I was like, I don't know. oh my god, that's how bad I am. Um, no, I think Entangled. The very first line of books that they brought out actually was that that brazen line. I think was pretty mm-hmm. one of their really early art ones, and that would have absolutely taken on some of that market and. It's interesting, I think, when you look at category romances in general, the one big mainstay that still has a really strong brand recognition in, in terms of, like, when you look at it, you know exactly what you're getting is is the presents books. And yeah. um, what tended to happen, I think the other categories often had a broader tent um, and less restriction in them. So, I mean, I can even remember there was a, a Blaze ghost story at some point and maybe even an historical in the Blaze mm-hmm. um, lineup. And I do, I think from a reader point of view, maybe with Presents you know what you're going to get most of the time. It's because they, they're very good about knowing what a Presents is and I think that maybe even with Super Romance and Blaze, et cetera, as I said, it was a pretty broad tent and maybe the experience of reading a Blaze is like maybe the commonality of there's going to be a lot of sex in this book was not enough to get people to really commit to the line because they didn't necessarily know what they would get every time they picked up a book, if that makes sense. That makes a yeah, lot of sense. That yeah. makes makes a lot of sense yeah i've got i've got a christmas time travel blaze sitting right next to me here that i'm in the middle of. <laughs> we've read cowboy vampires from Blaze. <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm pretty sure they don't do that in presents and, um, <laughs> i would be fine with it though yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no and i think that's fine but then you know you can see how that sort of muddies what maybe was the original intent which is like a sex in the city style um sort of thing i think one of the things that I noticed happening for myself when I had written um, X, I think I wrote 12 blazers altogether, I feel like. But um, you did sort of, I got. I reached a point where I was like, I've written a lot of sex scenes now and how do I make them feel different for me and for the reader as well. And I noticed with some of the other blaze writers that sometimes the first encounter between the, 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 the protagonists was handcuffs and melted wax and... Um, spanking or whatever (laughs) and I could feel I wondered I mean I never asked them anyone this but I I did wonder whether that was them going oh I've I've done a you know sex against the wall already so I need to change it up but I sort of made a decision early on to go these are different people and so when these people have sex up against the wall it's going to be a different experience than other people in other of my books who've had sex up against the wall and it's I mean, you know, there's only so many ways that, that you know, slot A can go into, you know, tab A can go into slot B. And um, <laughs> so you're, of course, going to repeat sort of situations or positions and things like that, but it's about what is said and done around those situations that mm-hmm. makes it unique. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, as an Australian reader and writer, do you remember how the Blaze books were marketed locally to you? No, not really. I mean, we so the big place that you would go to get them would be um, Target, which I know you guys have in America mm-hmm. as well. I think they're they're not the same company, but they're fairly similar, sort of sort of a sort of lower tier department store, and they would have that. And there's a couple of other sort of same level department stores that would have a book section, and there was a Mills and Boone section that would be. Um, merchandised by them and swapped out every month and I and you would go there and I can remember the red blaze insignia I mean I think I actually probably hadn't read much in the line when I got published in it and when I was starting to look at it and when um Wanda suggested that that be one of the ones that I look at I probably I I think I went out and bought a whole bunch of them and you know read up (laughs) did a little bit of study Um, which is an interesting thing because I think usually you do often target a line to get published but because I targeted one that was defunct I sort of ended up there a little bit um, sideways in a sort of slightly crooked journey. Well you touched on it a little bit already but I mean we had Temptation first and you know over a thousand books and we had followed by Blaze it didn't have as many as Temptation and then we had we had Dare Um, but you know, we're really trying to figure out, you know, maybe with with Blaze and Temptation, it really does seem like maybe because the restrictions were a little bit, I don't want to say, it feels like there was more room to do everything. Whereas like Presents, like you said, we're always going to get that fantasy, that fairy tale, like you know what you're going to get with the Presents or even with the Romance. Um, yeah. It seems like, you know... <laughs> the, the, the reins were a little bit loose on those two dare i don't know i i you didn't see like cowboys or anything or time travel with dare but in the end these sexier lines just have not been able to last like mm. is it a number thing is it we don't really know how to market this and and you also mentioned like the book club aspect of it, which, I mean, I don't know how important that is now, but I know once upon a time it was really important. So what are your thoughts on like why these three in particular just were unable to last in comparison to like a presents or a romance? Well, I think they kind of cannibalized each other, didn't they? I mean, certainly Temptation and Blaze were there's you know in the Venn diagram of what those categories represented I think there'd be a lot of crossover and then they also introduced that very erotic line um I can't remember what that was called um but there was a period there where they had that was like a really like a still romance or still had a happy ending as far as I know but it was like mm-hmm. really like a lot of erotic content as well so then I guess if you're a reader who's coming to these books, you're maybe you go over there to get if that's what you're really looking for. If you know what I mean, if you want more erotic content, um, so I, I think there was a lot of a lot of sort of bleeding into each other's zones in some of the other categories. Um, I mean, I you know, super romance always had a sort of a longer read and um, lots of intergenerational you know sort of conflict and representation of families etc and um 
you know, then there was also the American romance as well, which probably there was a lot of crossover there and silhouette special edition. I sort of felt like those three kind of occupied very similar territory as well. I wasn't particularly good at differentiating between, you know, sometimes I think it was maybe just, I mean, obviously the Americans were all set in America, but um, uh, sometimes it was about that it was the writer who was writing for that line and that was the person that you followed as well. So, I mean, interesting, well, interesting to me anyway, (laughs) maybe to anyone else, but when I did um, start writing for Super Romance, I sort of was, I kind of assumed that the people who, really liked my books would read my super romances as well and I don't know that that necessarily happened I think some people did but I think others didn't so I thought that was kind of interesting well again you've kind of touched on these next two so I'm going to blend the next two questions together but uh, like we said in 2005 um, online communication wasn't at the point that you know it was today we don't have the social networking um, and and things like that um, what was what was networking like um, between the you know the blaze authors or just um, you know other Harlequin authors like back at the time? And you had mentioned that you weren't writing for Blaze when it was at the end, but were you in communication with any other writers at that time that you got that feeling that that the line was coming to an end? Yeah, I mean, I kind of I had picked up the vibe that that was happening. I mean, I think they went to digital only first. They stopped doing print um, and they did the same thing with Super Romance as well. I mean, I, that's just usually the death knell for me. I, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I think if they're not going to bother um, doing print books, especially when we now know that a lot of people still, like a huge percentage of the market still like holding a paper book in their hands, um, you know, you're kind of cutting a line off it at its knees. And um, so I can remember when they made that announcement at one of the romance writers conference and I sort of was like, okay, I could see the writing on the wall there a bit as well. But then, you know, they were also launching these new lines at the time. I think there was Karina Press was coming out and they were because they were trying to sort of, I guess, sort of, you know, um, be out there with Entangled doing digital um, publishing more. And there was also, I want to say, modern or something like that was a new there was there were a few new lines that they launched that you were kind of looking at them and you'd look at the descriptor and you'd be like well isn't that just what the one that you just cancelled was doing as well (laughs) they were trying to rebrand this they were trying to create a new category when the other category had declining sales but it was really just the same thing with a different name and you know they'd go through all these livery changes and branding changes I mean there were some um some writers that I knew, like Kelly Hunter is an Australian writer who's very beloved, um, but she was she sort of was asked to be like a lead author on some of these new lines or whatever and I think, you know, that can be quite taxing <laughs> when you're sort of taking a bit of a hit for the company really when they put you out in front and then maybe the line doesn't do what it's supposed to do and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm speaking mm-hmm. for Kelly when I say that. She's never said that to me but... Um, you know, there was a there was a little period there, I think, where um, Harlequin Mills and Boom were were trying to sort of stop the stop the hemorrhaging, if you will, and yeah. uh, with category romance. Yeah. Well, I find it really interesting that you know when we think about 
going digital, right? And this is at a time where di- I feel like, you know, digital was really booming. But like you said, a lot of category readers still enjoy that feeling of like physically holding a book, you know, and I think of, okay, after Temptation and after Blaze, the next one in the lineup was Dare and it was digital from the beginning. Yeah. And it just kind of feels as a fan of that line, like this was kind of doomed from the beginning you know, but also living in America specifically, I'm like, I would never expect to see Dare on the shelves at Walmart, <laughs> you know, yeah. living in very conservative Texas. So what do what do you do? You know, it just feels like when it comes to the, the sexier stories, if you can't really figure out how to put them out there or what to do with them, they're just kind of doomed to not really last that long. And I think in the end, the people who enjoy it, the readers are the ones that are like, you know, dang, you know, like, yeah, just yeah. kind of missing out. I think there was this sort of wisdom, the wisdom, the industry wisdom was that that people who read the at the more erotic end of the romance spectrum were happy to read digital because it meant, you know, it was a brown paper bag you know, for their, mm-hmm. their book cover. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um, I, as a sort of little side sidebar, uh, I can, there were, con- there were constraints in Blaze on the language you could use. So um, we weren't allowed to, well, I, I wasn't allowed with my editor to use fuck. Even oh, though, I remember hearing this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> even though like, you know, the, you're picking someone up in a bar or meeting them, you know, you're drunk and they're in the same hotel room for some reason or whatever it is. I mean, the thing you're going to say is let's fuck. And, um, and sometimes it was the only thing, the only word that was right for what was happening. And that so it made sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and every now and then I would like test the waters and, you know, pop one in there. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, and it, it would either get changed to screw um, which is a really, I, th- I think of it as being a very American kind of a word and not that, I just uh-huh. don't, nobody uses it, do they really? <laughs> no, and it's not, not very intimate and more in just no. like a, a sense of like being, being uh, uh, deprived of something, like you know, yeah, <laughs> having something yeah. taken from you. Oh, I got screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is, isn't it? And so I can remember that happening and so I would just, I would just take out the sentence. I would change it completely. I'd be like, okay, well, if I can't have the word that I want, I'm not using that one and um, would sort of reconfigure things. But um, I do remember my editor saying to me, essentially, I am not, one of my books is not going to be the reason that Blaze gets taken off the shelves at Walmart. And that was a concern, obviously, within the company that they were selling these pretty raunchy books with erotic content we're just sitting there on the bookshelves in these stores and that if anybody, you know, chose to pay attention and shine a light on it, there could be a really big stink about it. And um, especially, you know, I mean, probably even more so today, to be honest with you, um, because the internet has made it so much easier for everybody to be outraged about everything. And, yeah, yeah, so that was a big, that was definitely something they were obviously aware of. Okay, so this made me totally think about a conversation I've been seeing a lot on Twitter. It happens all the time, but like, I don't know, recently it's been really happening because there's just been the the cover controversy never goes away. But like, okay, so 
we're thinking of, I'm thinking, I'm imagining myself in here in the States in South Texas at the Walmart looking at the category section, which I personally think is fantastic. But I think of like, okay, with Harlequin specifically nails the marketing, right? You have a couple of seconds to get our attention. We're going to pick up the book. It says Blaze on it. You can clearly see from the cover, however it's illustrated, that it's a sexier book. Yeah. Is this why we are having these conversations with the more illustrated covers where if you're walking, if you're, you know, 14 year old, you know, the father of a 14 year old girl who sends you to the bookstore and she's like, pick up this book. It has this pretty cartoonish looking cover. You're none the wiser. You're not going to think that the word fuck is in there. Do you think that's, you know, does that appease the stores a little bit better then, you know, a blaze where it's like you can't say fuck in it. But the book is clearly about having sex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I do think it's really interesting. I'm actually so I've actually got the rights back to most of my books now. And I'm in the process of going through um, my Secret Lives of Daytime Divas series, which is set on a soap opera. And uh, that was Take On Me. All over you and hot for him, and they're 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 the the fourth, fifth, and sixth blazers that I wrote. And um, I've commissioned an artist that I know to do illustrated covers for those for me. And I did that because that's the cool thing right now, and that's what people seem to be looking at. Um, also, because I feel like those stories are, were always a bit more sort of single title ish rather than category and. I feel like it gives them a chance to kind of escape that category constriction a little bit or yeah. perception. Um, and one of the great things about working with um, a, a cover artist, uh, sorry, an illustrator, is that you can get exactly the moment that you want depicted on your cover um, and it's you don't have to rely on stock photos um, that, you know, don't exactly look like who you want your cover and they're not in the situation that you want and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So um, there's there's that part of it. I do – it's funny, isn't it, because I do sort of look at some of the covers that are out there at the moment and I think they look like young adult and that's um, – yeah, and I, and I sort of wonder about that as well. I mean, the first round of illustrated covers, those, you know, the chiclet illustrated covers, I think the covers we're seeing now are – quite different to them and uh there's a lot more variation perhaps happening now as well um but I think that sometimes there can be a bit of a mismatch between an illustrated cover and content as well just in terms of that thing that you're talking about that that sort of I don't know it just just sort of gives a lighter buzzier sort of fluffier feel doesn't it for some reason Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you read it and you're like, oh, this is super deep, really, really sexy. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this may be difficult, but of your Blaze titles, do you have a favorite? <laughs> um, I think it's probably Anything For You, which was my third book. And it's about best friends who fall in love with each other. She's always known that she loved him. Um, and he's a sort of died in the wool commitophobe pants man. And she goes away for a holiday with her sister and her sister's children. And she realizes that she wants to have a family. And 
while she's away, she this is right at the very this is actually pre the beginning that was like a prologue really that I didn't even write. This is just in my head. But mm-hmm. she she realizes that she's not gonna have any of those things while she is so bonded to this best friend of hers. You know, they have warehouse apartments that are above each other in the same complex. They own a, a magazine together. They spend all their time with each other. And so this the sort of relationship slot in her life has been filled with this man who is everything to her except a partner and a husband and a lover. So she sort of comes back and begins this painful process of separating her life from his. And um, because she's utterly convinced that, you know, there's no chance of them having a relationship with each other. And he um, reacts with confusion and bemusement about the fact that she wants to sell her half of the business and she's going to move from her apartment and she's starting to date all these people and and he's, you know, jealous and um, threatened and all of those sort of things. And so they have to work their shit out. Um, so I, I loved writing that story um, and it took me a long time because I've written quite a few friends to lovers stories in my career and it took me a little while to work out that I think the reason why I keep coming back to it as a trope is because that's kind of my husband and mine's story. <laughs> we were um, We were friends for a year before we became a couple and it was the most torturous year of my life and... <laughs> Um, cause you know, I just wanted to jump his bones and he wasn't in quite the same place at the same time. And so I, it was like a little light bulb moment for me where I was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. That's why you're doing that. <laughs> well, that, that premise and the way you have described it, it just, it sounds so touching and just like, there's so much heart in it. I can just, I can just sense it, the, the, how you're talking about it. Yeah. Well, you know, they love each other but not in the way that she needs and that he's ready for. And then mm-hmm. I think my second favourite Blaze is um, She's Got It Bad, which is a sort of, well, I sort of think it has been kind of a bit epic because it starts when she's 15 and then they reconnect again as adults and he's this kind of, he's had a messed up upbringing and her family have very generously taken him in and given him a roof over his head but him and the daughter of the household have got this sort of really fierce attraction to each other, but he's a little bit older than her. And um, when they get to the point where she's sort of, you know, he's hanging around, his, um, he, he lives in a, a studio sort of bungalow thing in the backyard of the house. And when he comes home one night from a party and she's sort of loitering on the doorstep and basically, you know, kisses him and, and they end up on the bed, he realises that he can't stay anymore and so he takes off and um, forges his own way in life and she is heartbroken and sort of acts out um, in teen ways that kind of uh, end up sort of damaging her both physically and emotionally and then um, years, I don't even know how many years later, is it 10 years later or something, he's in an art gallery and he's got a, a friend who's trying to get him to spend some of the money that he's earned um, doing custom motorbikes to, you know, have a bit of an art collection in his house and he sees this nude painting of this amazing woman on the wall in this gallery and he knows that it's Delaney and he's like, cover that painting up. <laughs> <laughs> I must have it also. And he kind of 
seeks her out and wants to save her from this kind of life that she's got, which is that she's the lead singer of a punk band and is a tattoo artist and she's sort of sometimes is maybe not doing the healthiest things for herself, but um, he's a bit messed up as well. Anyway, it was such a fun book to write because it was so angsty and was in this kind of very sort of edgy sort of space with the tattoos and the band and the trauma and all that kind of stuff. And I had a lot of, is it wrong to say I had a lot of fun writing it? Sorry, but I did. No, <laughs> no, I, I'm sold. I it's know. Like... <laughs> we love hearing that you had fun writing it. So, Oh, why would you do it otherwise? It's torturous. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has to be, you know, I, you do, you sit, you spend months and months and months with these characters in your head and you, you think about them all the time and you have amazing ideas in the shower and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that you do, you it's an obsession. Writing yeah. a book is an obsession. It has to be, otherwise you'd never finish it. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. Well, are there any other Blaze titles you'd like to shout out as must-reads? So I did a little search um, to prompt my memory. So um, Karen Kendall was one of my favourite Blaze writers um, there was a series she had called The Manhandlers, which I remember with great fondness, but I just I think that almost anything that she wrote has got some fun, spiky dialogue, uh, dialogue in it and, you know, sexy times. Um, Kathleen O'Reilly was also another one I can remember really loving at the time and um, Samantha Hunter as well. And I realised didn't really answer your question properly before you were talking about sort of the internet or, the, you know, the book community in its infancy with everything going digital, et cetera, and how did we connect with each other as Blaze writers. And, I mean, there wasn't necessarily a lot of um, that sort of thing. We, didn't, we, we did towards the end have a sort of um, Yahoo group where we would exchange okay. um, thoughts and ideas and a bitch and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but I did, um, I worked with Samantha Hunter, she suggested that a bunch of us get together and create a blog. This is back in the days when people still did blogs. And um, we had one called Love is an Exploding Cigar and we would all take turns posting content to that, etc., and sort of work together to promote uh, Blaze and be out there online. I mean, is this blog still around? Is it still floating around out there somewhere? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's <laughs> gone, I'm sure, but... Um, you know, we came up with the title because it's it's a quote from, I can't remember who said it, I should know, but um, love is an exploding cigar we willingly smoke. And um, we loved that. So that was what we called our blog. Well, you've touched on writing for both Blaze and Super Romance, and you wrote for both for a little while at the, like at the same time. So creatively, what did you enjoy about writing for these two lines at the same time? Look, I'm spilling all of the tea today. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sort Thank of, you. I'm, I'm just old in a blubber mouth now. So um, I, I originally started writing for Super Romance because I had been told that they would not take more than three books a year for me writing in Blaze, that there was okay. you know, so many people in the stable for Blaze and there was that was how many slots were available for me. And so... I wanted to be writing more. I wanted to be writing full time and I had been told by um, somebody at Mills and Boone Australia that the way to build your career was to get books out there as quickly as possible and, you know, to do as many a year as I could. And so I 
was like, okay, well, I'll write for another line then as well. And I knew there were quite a few writers out there that were doing that. They were writing for more than one line, like maybe they were doing presents as well as medical romance or um, so I started writing for Super Romance and then as soon as I did that, the senior editor of Blaze cracked the sads so hard. She was butthurt about it and um, basically would not schedule my books. So I had handed in like completed manuscripts and she just wouldn't give me a slot. And when I spoke to her about it, she said, well, you know, Sarah, you have to understand I need to support the authors who are supporting the line. And I was, I was like, we, this is the same company. <laughs> I couldn't How believe it. How am I not supporting the yeah. line? Like, I'm Absolutely nuts, right? Like I was just, are you serious? I mean, I think now I would have, I would, I would be a Karen and I would complain to upper management about it. It was just outrageous. And if you don't want me as a company writing for more than one line, then don't contract me. Yeah, and that's really weird. That's yeah. really weird. It's, it's all really like one team, one fight. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, nuts. So I, I ended up just going, all right, well, I will just not write for you anymore. And I, I stopped and um, wrote with Super Romance, which, you know, was probably quite a good fit for me in that I would always write too long for plays. I was always <laughs> so it's like, oh look, maybe it's an extra five thousand words and sorry about that. And um Super Romance was good. I got to stretch my elbows my, my wings and get my elbows out a little bit. And also that you could still have very sexy stories in that. Um but like there was a a a, a broader sort of um reach for the stories as well. Like you could have you know, I mean, Blaze didn't want you having cute dog stories, you know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah. grandpas and babies and all that sort of stuff. So um, so you could sort of do a little bit of everything with super romance as long as it was that longer story with, um, you know, sort of good emotional depth, et cetera, um, which I was kind of doing in Blaze anyway, I always felt. So it wasn't that big a shift of gears for me. 85,000, when I started writing for them, was 85,000 words was the, the total, which is like essentially a single title romance. Yeah. And then they were like, uh-huh. ooh, that's a lot of paper and ink. Why don't we cut that down to 75? And we were going, ooh, okay, we'll do that then. Still charge the same amount for the books, but, you know, the readers won't notice. And then they cut it down to 65,000, I want to say. I could be wrong on that. And, of course, people noticed then. <laughs> And then they went, oops, we've made a boo-boo here and then bumped the word count up again. And But, you know, they'd lost their readers by then. Like a whole bunch of people went away and didn't come back. It was just crazy-making decision-making from the company. And um, I think that is a huge part of why the line lost so many readers and why eventually, you know, sort of just disappeared down the gurgler. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I, I'm looking at my super romance section on my shelf right now, and I'd always wonder they're they're all just such different sizes. <laughs> it's, yeah, you yeah. know, it's so different from all my other Harlequin sections on I my mean, shelf. Right, going like twenty thousand. That's Huge a twenty thousand word difference. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that means the writers who were probably used to doing a story with a subplot were now maybe only delivering a story without a subplot, they or they cut were that out. Well, yeah, or they were trying to squirt. I don't know what the other writers did, to be honest with you. I mean, I found it really tough. It didn't last for long, that really short restriction. I think they realised that that was just way, a bridge too far pretty quickly. But um, it was just, yeah, it was really some really crazy decision-making, I think, in that period when they were 
maybe just internally freaking out about um, self-publishing and and Entangled and the rise mm-hmm. of all of those, you know, sort of losing their dominant space in the bookstore. You know, that was their great their great sort of advantage, wasn't it? They had that amazing um, monopoly on the shelf space in all of those retailers, and then um, that didn't matter so much anymore. Which is kind of amazing when I think. I mean, they were just they were the they were such a huge part of my teen and 20s, so it's, you know, going down and buying one of those books and buying all six of them for the month and, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, are you currently working on anything you can share with us? I have a – I've got a, a four-book series that I'm doing with Chule Publishing, um, The Carmody Family, and so the, the fourth book is on my desk Um desperately wailing for attention um i've been sort of a little bit distracted by the fact that um the soap opera that i have worked on for 24 years here in australia has recently been axed and so after 37 years neighbors has just stopped in fact their final episode is airing this thursday in australia oh my gosh so that's been really um emotional actually and distracting and I've had some um I mean I shared with you guys I didn't want to say it at the beginning but my father died recently as well and so it's been really it's been an interesting time and um I in the wake of sort of losing that neighbor's work um I was freaking out a little bit and uh, and then I've landed work writing a um, rom-com feature film for an American company, uh, an American um, production company. So I'm hoping that that will get over the line and that will turn into a movie that people can watch. And yeah. um, and I'm writing for a UK thriller TV show as well. So oh my all gosh. of those things are sort of a bit more urgent deadlines than my poor comedy book, which um, I keep on getting letters from people asking for me. And um, <laughs> is there going to be a fourth book? And I'm like, yes, there is. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel so bad about it. Um, they've got the cover ready for me. I know what the story is. I just need to apply a bum to seat and write. So. Yeah, well, firstly, my- like I, I love seeing romance writers uh, kind of pivot into the world of screenwriting, like learning now that you've been writing. And I think someone told us once upon a time, I feel like maybe it was Allie Blake. I- I've heard that you were writing for TV, but I know also like Jennifer Snow's been writing a little bit for TV. And I'm like, yes, like, let's have the women that write these novels <laughs> writing for TV. Yeah. But I have to ask, this is so nerdy of me. I just remember growing up watching Young and the Restless with my nan. And I'm like, that show still comes on. So why does this, how does a soap opera that's been going on for so long come to an end? That's so sad. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think that a lot of those American um, soap operas that are still, the ones that are still going, I think they're, are they digital or online only? A lot of them now. And, um, you know, usually soap is a really efficient story. Uh, you know, production model and each episode of Neighbours is very economical to produce, but there's an enormous amount of them. Like we go, we're five nights a week, um, 48 weeks of the year. So that's a lot of, um, even if, you know, each little increment is not a lot of money when you add it all together, it's a a shit ton, right? So um, I think what sort of happened was that the, um, the UK 
production, uh, sorry, um, the UTA channel um, were wanting to do other things and they had so much money committed to Neighbours that they couldn't do those other things without basically losing Neighbours and that was the predominant sort of income for the show. The local broadcast network here in Australia wasn't contributing as much to um, the show as it had been in the past and ratings weren't as great. They switched it across to a digital-only platform, gosh, I want to say 10 years ago or something and, you know, it, it's just never attracted the same amount of viewers, etc., etc. So, I mean, look, yeah. 37 yeah. years is an amazing mm-hmm. run. It's amazing. And, Absolutely, yeah. You know, Neighbours is the show that brought the world Guy Pearce and Kylie Minogue and Margot Robbie and... Um, oh, really? I didn't... Wow. <laughs> yeah, a whole bunch of other, um, you know, Russell Crowe was on it, um... Chris Hemsworth's brother was on it very briefly. <laughs> I run to Kylie Minogue music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. So she got her she got her big start on Neighbours. She put out a single when she was still on the show, and it was just a massive. That was a locomotion, just a massive, massive hit. And then she pretty much was so successful that she left the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, where can everyone keep up with you online? Look, I am a really bad social media user these days um i do have a i do have a twitter account i'm at mayberry sarah on twitter um i'm on facebook you can find me there uh i'm probably not super active at the moment um i have a website you can um sign up for my newsletter if you want to find out when i have new releases i will not send you a monthly or weekly email because i just am not great at marketing um if i have a great deal um, or I have fantastic news, or I have a new book out, you'll hear from me. That's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. This has been incredible. I mean, you will have to come back. You have to come back. Because <laughs> I'm such a blabber. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you for being the first episode for our Blaze Project. I just this is exactly what I think we imagined it to be. It's just incredible. So thank you listeners. Make sure you check the show notes. We will have links to all the places where you can keep up with the incredible Sarah Mayberry, as well as where you can get her books. Um, So make sure that you are checking down there and Aaron and I will chat with you in our next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.